Yeah, no, no edits. This is live. Fuck it. Well, I actually do do some edits, but that's fine. What? I I never accept editing of any kind. That was actually uh, a, a great uh, interview with Patrick O'Brien. Uh, and I don't remember. Uh, they, they, uh, did you ever read the um, the Aubrey Maturin books? The Master and Commander and Post Captain and no, you know if, if there's if there's one thing you're expert at versus me, it's series of books that I've only vaguely heard of. And uh, okay. I I started reading your <laughs> your Wheel of Time, but uh, well, I, yeah. now now I might have done this wrong, but I okay. noticed that there's a prequel book, so I started with that with book number zero. Oh, I, I didn't, is that not the Eye of the World? Um, you know I don't really know what it's called because it's well. You want me to check? Let me. I'm gonna check it in my iBooks. Let me see. It's 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 all talking all about. It's called New Spring, the novel. There's some mm-hmm. there's some war going on with that the the Ariels, the Ales, the Isle, yeah, the Isle, and then and then there's someone fighting them who's some rough and tumble person, and then they go to this white tower where there's these. Oh like, yeah 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 yeah. Okay yeah. This is uh yeah yeah. You don't want to be reading. That's like revealing a lot of plot points. Oh really? Well, so yeah. so far, what I can tell is that the people who live in the White Tower are like are like really nice looking Bene Gesserit. Like that seems yes. to be what's yeah. what's going I on. Die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good pronunciation. Mm-hmm. I I read the I read the pronunciation guide in the back of the book, which actually they should there should be a note at the beginning because I read the first book and I was like I don't have it's like impossible to figure out how to pronounce all these damn names and I actually hate that in fantasy and science fiction where they introduce new languages and they introduce new like concepts. It's okay to have a couple, but when every other paragraph has some other crazy, like mythological name that's based on, you know, Norwegian and Swahili fused together, you got a pronunciation guide and, and maybe give it at the beginning or at least say, Hey, there's a lot of crazy terms in here. Uh, so go ahead. You know, and, and I know that's like that's part of the fun, the quote unquote fun to figure it out. And that's true up to a point. There's a certain volume that you can digest. And Robert Jordan definitely throws it at you hard and fast. Uh, and so I went through the first book having no idea how to pronounce any of those names. And so then at the end of the first book, I went through and exhaustively read the pronunciation guide for every single one. I see. Well, that's, that makes sense. Well, you know, I got about four other books four to five other books going on at the moment. So I like to bounce between books when I get bored with them. We'll right. see. We'll see. Right. I'll, 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 I'll shift over to reading book number one or whatever. Yeah. yeah because because I, I, feel like, I feel like this new spring book is kind of boring. There's a lot of wink-wink, right? Yeah. yeah. It, well, it's just, it's just not that interesting. It's, it's like it's not as bad as, as our favorite uh, fantasy series called Walking Around a Fucking Lot. Right, so, <laughs> so it's it's not it's not by like George or R. Martin. It, no, no, no. By the Lord walking, of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings. Oh, books walking is around a lot. Around. <laughs> right. I was thinking. The, so the the George R. R. Martin is walking around a lot and eating stuff. Yeah, it's true. There is a lot of walking around <laughs> in his book. There's his books. It's very similar. Yeah, walking around and riding horses and eating stuff. Yeah, and uh, and uh, you know taters. What's taters? <laughs> I just realized that Game of Thrones is what you would get if Lynn Rosetto Casper wrote a fantasy novel mm. and then Tyrion took <laughs> took the grottenated potatoes and <laughs> paired them with some boiled sirloin that was seasoned with a just a little bit of mint and yogurt <laughs> and it was just scrumptious 
You know, you know, Charles, if we manage in all of our episodes to always reference Lynn Rosetta Castro, I think I think we would have achieved some unique uh, differentiation in our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tech podcast. But we always Lynn Rosetta Casper is our touchstone. No, I just love her voice and I love I just love the 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 verve that she has for the thing that she does. Mm. She's so clearly into food in a way that's just you can't fake it, man. No, it's true. I just realized walking around and singing maybe might be a more appropriate term for the Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. There is some singing. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Oh, there's lots of singing. And I'll be honest, I, I skipped all those parts. Yeah, there's always a couple of things I always skip in book. Anything that's basically, uh, as they say, verse, like I'm just, mm-hmm. I I don't know what it is. I don't really like poetry. That's just that's just the way it is. I'm just laying down the law. Every now and then I like poetry as a sort of like the same way that I like aphorisms, right? Like I don't want to sit down and read Marcus Aurelius from cover to cover. And I don't want to sit down and eat, read like, you know, Beyond Good and Evil cover to cover. But sometimes you got a little spot in your life and you're like, boom, I'm going to I'm going to uh, get a little aphorism or a little poetry. So I used to have that poetry app. Speaking of public radio, remember Garrison Keillor used to have oh, yeah. ads for it? And it was pretty mm-hmm. good to randomly pick something. Every now and then it would pick something that was like 20 pages. And they're like, you know, I have a minor in English. And I'm pretty sure this is not poetry if it's 20 pages. <laughs> it could be Samuel Taylor Coleridge. I read that the other day. I think for me what it is, Cote, is I, I like long poems. I like ballads. I like those things. But what I don't and, – and part of the appeal to them, you know, these kind of folk poems – because there's, you know, there's poetry that's like a universal, or sorry, a unique snowflake that some poet, you know, was contemplating the sunset and their mortality and, you know, a poem issued forth. And that's, those are great. If I can interject, one of my favorite tweets ever is, I get it, poets. Things are like things, which I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think summarizes much of poetry. Right, right. And I do like those. I do like some of those uh, uh, poems. But I also really like the more pedestrian poems, which is poetry that's more of an oral tradition that's handed down. And, and part of the appeal of those poems is that they're recited by you know a thousand people, ten thousand people. There's this community that can involves both living and dead people that can recite that poetry. And like, I get it that in the Lord of the Rings, there's a simulation of that in those songs, like the songs that the dwarves and the elves and what have you are singing. I mean, sometimes they're off the cuff, but a lot of them, there are these, it's this idea that it's, you know, these kind of ballads. And for some reason I can, I like living in fantasy world, but it's a step too far. It's too meta to be like, and there's, you know, thou, like I don't derive joy from the idea that, you know, ten generations of dwarves have sung this song. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess, if if uh, if we were to accept my arrangement that verse is a superset of poetry, I don't really have a problem with verse. It's more poetry that I find easily, not universally, but easily problematic and not to my liking. <laughs> and then, in addition to that, with commenting between the two books, it, it is interesting that in uh, in Game of Thrones, they're constantly referring to these like oral traditions and verses, and they very rarely ever tell you what it is. Like, there's always like, oh, it's the bell rain of Castor Mirror or whatever, right? right? Like, and everybody knows it, though. The Reigns of Castor... But I think that one actually was composed... I think that was composed within the lifetime, right? Yeah. I, I mean, eventually they kind of go over it, but there's a lot... There's like three or four different songs. There's another one that's like obviously like a body song. Like, is you say body? Raunchy? Like a raunchy song that they refer to a lot, but... 
They never really uh, refer to those things. Yeah, no, no. I, I, and I actually like that. It gives a sense of mystery. Let you let you kind of figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually like in in Wheel of Time. You find out that there there's all these stories that all of the characters, every single one of them, all know all of the stories, and they're never told. Like that's why I think one of the brilliant things about the Wheel of Time. Um, some of it. Well, anyway. Yeah, like in the spring one, they keep talking about the last that someone's empire, and it was the last time they fight the felt the Archer Hawkwing. Yeah, yeah, that they fought fought the the Ariel Borealis or whatever the whoever whoever yeah. these evil this evil horde is that's scour- scourging the earth. Right. Turns out they're not evil. Or are you thinking of the Trollocs? Uh, oh, I don't know. It's the Aiel. How do you say Aiel, it? Yeah, they're it, the Isle. Now that's when you take mayonnaise and put a lot of garlic in it, right? That's Aioli. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get I get <laughs> things mixed up. They're, they're not they're not evil. They're more like barbarians. They just you know you you poke them with a stick and they they swarm at you like bees. But they're not uh, you know they're they're only evil in the sense that bees are evil, right? You don't just don't mess with them. This is a good point. I think at a meta layer that uh, so there's two things for the for the listeners. We have about 600 downloads now, which I assume that means we have about 10 listeners because I assume all the <laughs> all, all the rest of those are bots that that are that are downloading and and archiving this in case one of us ever becomes a person of interest that spy agencies need to do something about mm-hmm. so they're just they're downloading and archiving but one we have we have some pretty good show notes if you go to like for this episode kote.show/24 maybe one day we'll rename it drunken retired this is the third episode charles <laughs> hey you've got a picture of me drunk sleeping on my own kitchen floor yeah yeah and <laughs> and i was I, asleep when you t- Picture, Cote. I wouldn't say you were drunk, but fair enough. And then, and then also, I was, I've, I was, uh, I was warmed. I, I've made public our our topic list, so you can go mm-hmm. see our rough notes if you go to if you go to the show notes page. And also, I real I figured out that finally podcast chapters work. You might want to tell your thousand uh, dollar an episode person, but if you right. if you I use Hindenburg to edit, which is a great piece of software, and you can put chapter markers in there, and for a long time. They didn't actually show up in Overcast. I haven't checked the podcast app, but they now show up in Overcast at least. And so you can see very what you can see is there's there's different chapters you can click on to go to in the episode. And there's also links so I can put in links to the the major things in there. That's that's all I wanted to say. Okay, yeah. Podcast chapters. Chapter Mm -hmm. one. So is this what chapter are we in now? Uh, You know, I'll probably make let me see. I'll probably end up making a chapter about fantasy books. Right. And and I'll put in I don't know what I'll put some links into if at all. And then and then there'll probably be a little chapter on poetry and verse. And uh, mm-hmm. I might put in a link to what was it? Coolridge. Coleridge. Samuel yeah. Taylor Coleridge. As as we'll frequently cover, I don't actually know how to pronounce anything. As our friend Josh Knowles once diagnosed me, I read a lot more than I talk, which I think I've finally caught up with since since my uh-huh. my high school days. But it's true. Like, I don't really yeah, podcasting, man. Cured you of that. And then I would have this section called, like, meta section on show notes. So there would be, like, three uh-huh. chapters there. Ah, uh, right. Okay. I see. Mm-hmm. Well, what, yeah. what, uh, what topic do you want to talk about today, Charles? I'm always delighted to find what topic you're interested in. Well, I mean, so we've got, we've got a lot in there. Uh, how did oil get on the list? Oil? Where's that? Yeah, that's uh, on, right under Do You Fear Death oil oh oh i know why oil's on there i put that on there because you know i was i was at your uh your dad's memorial a while ago and apparently oh, okay. oil figured big into his life and uh, yeah. and you ha- you had even asked uh that the was he german or austrian or or something yeah. that you'd mm-hmm. even asked one of your dad's uh 
I guess, really old German friends uh, uh-huh. to bring some actual crude oil. And so that made yeah. me think like, Charles has an interesting relationship with oil that I know nothing about. Right. Yeah, I've actually worked in an oil field. So, so yeah, that was, well, we could talk about oil. Oil is actually fascinating. And the thing is, is people really, really depend on it an awful lot, way more than they think. Uh, even the people... Even the people who hate it and despise it are so, you know, so hopelessly dependent on it. But uh, but yeah, oil is um, oil is oil is really interesting stuff. Uh, And so my dad, his probably the best his best friend throughout his life uh, was was from Germany and came over here in the 60s. A really fascinating person escaped from uh, East Germany um, in the 50s. Uh, and then came over to the University of Texas in graduate school and ended up staying uh, in America for the rest of his life. Uh, but one of the things, so he he got his PhD in uh, petroleum engineering. Uh, my dad's friend Jurgen did, and was always fascinated because in America, people own the mineral rights to their land. So when you buy the land. You actually own the mineral rights for the, you know, so if you find copper ore. Now, maybe you know this or don't, but my my understanding nowadays is that tradition has slowly been removed. Like, I don't think we own the mineral rights to our house. But I think when you go out into, like, McMansion, uh, playing community land, somehow that's that's not a standard practice as much as it used to be. Right. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I don't know, it's worth looking into. Uh, It's definitely one of those things where people are like, see if you own the mineral rights. Um. I'm pretty sure – well, I don't know. It, there, there might be blanket things for the city of Austin. But essentially, if you live outside of a, uh incorporated that community, so then then you own the mineral rights. But like inside Austin, I don't believe that you do. Uh, Luling, right, is different in that inside of the city of Luling, people still own mineral rights. And I think that's something that's special about the city of Luling. Sorry. Right, so that's why when you go to Luling, Texas – it smells like crude oil, and there's a bunch of pump jacks in everybody's front yards. Uh, so, anyways, Jurgen, fascinated by the concept of owning mineral rights, right? Uh, and the idea that you can actually have pump jacks and you can pump oil out of your own land. Uh, and so um, he did that, and he was asking me, kind of, what what can I bring as a souvenir from Kansas? Well, okay, so let me let me back up a little bit. So. You know, he was a petroleum engineer. My dad was a chemical engineer. They met at, in graduate school at um, uh, the University of Texas. And, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, they, they, they after, I want to say, 30 years, uh, decided, you know, after they'd kind of ha- already had most of their individual careers, went into um, business together to, you know, pump small oil. They like had a basically a boutique oil company mm. uh, in Kansas, and mm. where they kind of maintained uh, I think ten wells uh, or something like that. So there's and and this is the thing that people don't kind of realize is that there's big oil, but there's also very much small oil uh, too. You know where you have farmers, where you have little companies like theirs, which are two, three, four people. You know managing ten pumps. There are many ten wells. Uh, and you know, they're kind of doing their individual things to get this oil out of the ground. And it's all, you know, much too small potatoes for a company like Exxon, uh, or BP to do. So there really actually is a spectrum in terms of, uh, the, the, the size of oil companies out there. And so anyway, so I went and worked in one of their oil or worked for their oil company 
for uh, probably about, I want to say, three weeks um, one summer. It wasn't a long time, but it was hard, hard work. And we had to go clean out all of the clean out all the oil equipment and help with drilling new wells and, you know, drive. I remember we, I got to, I was only 15 and I got to drive these big, huge, like crane and drilling trucks out there because there was this guy, I remember his name, his name was Bill Frew. Uh, and he had Bill Frew Drilling was his company. And he was some one guy who like, you know, ran a drilling company out in Southeast Kansas. And so I worked for him kind of going around and being his helper and he had two trucks and one person. And so I got to drive like the drilling rig, you know, while he drew, drove like the, the tanker that had like the gas and stuff in the generator. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it was really exciting, but I remember, you know, we going out into these fields and like, if it would have been, if it had been raining, uh, you know, it would actually get dangerous. You can, you were just kind of driving these trucks right out into the middle of a cornfield and, uh, you know, could tip over and, and what have you. Um, and so that was, um, that was definitely a part of my life. It's definitely a big part of Southeast Kansas is the small oil business. And so when Jurgen came down for the memorial service, he said, what can I bring your kids? And I was like, Hmm, well, why don't you bring them some canisters of crude oil? Because people, you know, this is a substance on which we all, like I mentioned before, depend so hopelessly upon. And yet most people have never seen it and touched it. And, you know, they've seen it depicted on TV, but uh, it's actually really an interesting substance. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so I had him bring down uh, a couple of uh, uh, a couple of canisters of crude oil and it's sitting in my shed. Now, I have a, I have a few questions. One what's the daily operation of, of an oil business, right? Like all I know is, uh, is, is what I, what, you know, my grandfather actually was, did some, I guess they say wildcatting. I don't know what they call uh -huh. it. I don't right. know what they call it up in Canada. Maybe, maybe, uh, polite house catting or something, but he, mm -hmm. he was, he had a, <laughs> he, he had a, a petroleum engineering. I think it was just a master's, but that was something mm -hmm. he had. And so he like led a team of people who were like, they would do the old school thing of just like, using some dynamite and then I guess looking at the seismographic waves to see if stuff passed through liquid or something. And I don't know, but he never found anything. So I know about that. And then my understanding is you have a pump of some sort that pulls the oil out. And then, and then I read, I, I remember listening to some, uh, some, uh, uh, planet money thing where basically then what happens is you drive a, a, a tank full of oil to like a pipeline somewhere and you just like deposit it, I guess. And there must be some like paperwork that gets filed. Like someone has to like buy the oil, and uh, and then and then and then it's got to be refined. And I don't really care about that. Well, so there's a couple different there's a couple different things. A couple different ways it can happen. And I am not. So I worked for three weeks in the summer uh, for a independent driller, uh, and so I'm by no means an expert in the day to day operations. I can only tell you what I remember. But what happens is the oil comes out of the ground. So you, you know, you, so there's the drilling part where you kind of bring the drilling rig and it's interesting. They had like these air rigs and mud rigs. And so like the, this guy had a, an air rig 
And so what happens is, you know, you, you drill into the ground, right? You've got this big bit uh, that's got, it's got kind of these three moon gears that just grind up the earth and the rock. And, you know, it spins around and grind, 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 grind. But then how the hell do you get the dirt that you ground out of the hole? After the hole is, you know, five feet tall, what do you do? Well, what you do is you blast super pressure air down into the hole that like shoots the mud up. Oh, and, huh. Yeah. Or sorry, shoots the shoots the dirt up. Uh, and so they they blast compressed air into the, the hole and then all this dirt starts coming out. And you could, it's actually nice. You can take a sifter and you at every point. So one of my jobs was to record every, I don't know, every three feet that they went through to take a sample and see uh, what was the note, what was the color of the rock and was there any oil? Because you could actually see if you went through a layer of oil, then <clears throat> you would see little droplets of oil in the dirt. That makes sense. Rock. That makes sense. Yeah. And, yeah. And so then we would, you know, basically note the depth, note the content of the soil as you went down. Um, and then, and then, yeah. So then once you're finished drilling the hole, you blasted all the air out with the, or dirt out with the air. Then I think they fracked it, uh, which is not what they called fracking. Now fracking is, you know, a thing that's a little bit different, but they actually had, they had fracking back then. Um, this was probably in 95, uh, or something like that. Um, and where they basically put dynamite into it and blow it up. And then that just breaks up the rock and lets the oil kind of flow. That's that's like what you do in Minecraft. You're like, I don't want to, I don't want to pickaxe all this stuff, so I'm just going to build the TNT with the red powder, and uh, and then it'll mm -hmm. take care of it for me. Yeah, well, this is more about like, yeah, it's just um, just basically blasting the rock formation underneath so that it releases the oil. Um, and and so so yeah, um, I guess it's like Minecraft, like oil craft. Mm-hmm. Hopefully someone has, a, as they say, a mod where it's like oil exploration Minecraft. I think that's, yeah. that would probably just be – that. Would, and maybe the zombies are like people from the uh, from the, the EPA and things like that. That I'm sure people would love that. Yeah. Uh, so then what happens is you um, you pump the oil. You, so sometimes there's the, the, the formation is under positive pressure. And there's so there's just, you know, the, the weight of the earth is just kind of pressing the oil down and the oil just comes up. And that's kind of what we know as the gusher or whatever. But in reality, that's kind of that's rare and that wastes a lot of oil. So that's actually not something that you really, really right, want. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, like so that all those things you have the drilling rig and the oil is under pressure and it like shoots like that actually is really bad. You lose. I mean, it's good that you've got all this oil, but that's actually not good. Because you're losing all that oil and you're destroying your drill <laughs> because it it basically bends and destroys the drill as it shoots it back up the shaft. Uh, but anyway, and then yeah, sometimes, and, and then and then like in that movie, your your son goes deaf or whatever, and and that's that's no good. Remember, in there yeah. will be blood. They have a gusher, and then uh, and uh, then uh, he deafens. Really? Because it's so loud? Oh, there's just like an explosion. I mean, you know, they, they use there's an explosion and then they also use dynamite to like blow it shut again and I don't know. Whatever. That's mm -hmm. that, that's a that's a fine movie that has very little to do with oil, but oil's a good uh, a good backdrop for it. So 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 let me wrap this up. Let me we don't want to de devote any more than like two or three minutes more minutes to oil. Because then what happens? You pump it out of the ground and then it goes into this thing called a gun barrel. And the reason it does that is because when you actually pump oil out of the ground, it can be like up to 
50% water. So it's just water uh, and oil. And But as you know, water and oil separate because you got water down in the rocks, groundwater, and you've got oil. So it all comes up together in a big, you know, a big mess. So you put it, and you can't, but you can't burn water. So you put it in a gun barrel and that just separates the water and the water drains off the top. And then you have uh, a relatively concentrated oil. You'll still need to purify it and, and drain it, but that all happens, I believe, at the refinery. And then, so once um, the gun barrel separates and the water's drained off, then you take the oil and you put it into these holding tanks that are next there. So you'll, as you're driving by, next time you look past an oil field, you'll see there's the pump jack. And then sitting next to the pump jack, or sitting, there's usually have one of these for a field. So maybe five pumps go all into one gun barrel. You'll see this big, tall cylinder tube, and that's the gun barrel. And it's it's really tall, and that's where the separation happens. And then you know the, <clears throat> and then next to that, you'll usually have like three or four big, short, squat tanks. And that's where the oil is actually stored once it's been separated from the water. Mm. And then that's where the truck comes and picks up that from the the you know the fat squat things of oil and then takes it to the distributor and usually that truck is you know is uh, run by you know a someone higher up the food chain so not small oil but like medium oil and, and, and so are those like resell the people, it. Are those so the people you sell to collection work so who yeah. who who in an, in a small oil operation like where's the point of of selling? So yeah, you sell to that you sell to that collector, and then they kind of manage an area, and they collect from a whole bunch of small places, and then they'll concentrate that, and then sell it upstream to someone like Exxon. Right, right, right. And then and then what are the what are like the profit margins on this? On that <clears> that kind I of have business? no idea. Okay, because because it, it, you know it's uh, I mean you got You got to pay for the land, or you know lease it or buy right. it, right? Right. And then, and then so, yeah, so you got to pay for the right, equipment the and then labor, and and uh, but you're basically getting. I mean, it's not a free thing, but you're getting a highly valuable substance. And I always wonder. Like I ask this because you know, so in in uh, in our enterprise software job, and then me being in Austin, I go visit with uh, as they like to call themselves energy companies over in Houston a lot. And then the only thing that is ever that that they you know it's it's not so much cream as the price of a barrel rules everything around them. And they're as as I suppose they should be. They're obsessed with the price of a barrel, and it makes me think that their profit margins are not really that great. If if these fluctuations of like five to ten dollars a barrel can like knock out their their profit margin that big, so yeah, I, no, I, I think, assume the profit I think the margins, margins are. I think the margins for the small guys are actually a lot higher. Mm, yeah, yeah. I assume but like the volume is lower. I mean, I would assume I'll have to look this up, I guess. But I assume I'm, I'm thinking the profit margin on on oil is like ten percent at most. Like it might be even lower, like, but it, it doesn't seem like. I, I think the the margin for small oil is pretty damn high. Uh, so I think that, like, you, if I recall correctly, and I mean, again, these are these are thirty year old statistics based from a fifteen year old's memory, but I think it was you gave ten one in ten barrels to the lease holder or to the landowner, and then you kept the rest. But I mean, you had the cost of operating your pumps and whatever. But you know, the price of you know, uh, which is, but that's that's pretty low. So, you know, <clears throat> you pump a, a barrel of oil out of the ground in a day. Um, you know, you're going to give, let's say the the, the price is a hundred dollars. Yeah, even though it's not that today, but you're going to give ten dollars to the landowner, and then you get to keep ninety. 
Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you got all your costs. Dollars a day ain't that much. Yeah, you got. I mean, it's just repre- you have all your costs to take care of too, right? Like, right, you do you do? So, but you know, assuming your cost are maybe another ten dollars to pump that oil, um, it's still it's it's a pretty high margin. But then you know you're not selling it for well, you're not. Who knows what you're selling it for? And then uh, and then the, as as we found out later in our career, if you hire basically high schoolers, that costs nothing as well. So for three weeks, you right. maximize your profits. Right. Uh, right. Especially if you hire your son, who you're like, how about I pay you by putting a roof on your head? Now go drill <laughs> some oil. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> and then next thing you know, you got your pair. Of, you got yourself a pair of like really, uh, really tight jeans that the hipsters can wear because it's got a little bit of uh, synthetic material in it, so it stretches some. Yep. Yep. All that. Uh, all that coming from 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 crude oil. Isn't that amazing, Cote? It is. What a world we live in. So I'll tell you what also is awesome and delicious is avocado oil. Have you uh, have you tried that? No. What's the deal with that? This is this, maybe this is this is not on our topic list. But here's you seem like someone who would be up on the following topics. Are you ready? Ready? Wait, oh, so let me let me do one thing because uh-huh. I was actually reading about this. I don't know why I was reading up on oil. It might have been around the same period where I was asking for the the crude oil. You know, whaling. They all of the oil in the world used to be used to come from like whaling operations in fact shell oil started out as mostly most of their oil was came from whales and that was amazing is like hey we're killing all these whales for their oil and oh you know what there's actually this stuff in the ground that we can use instead and there's it's much more plentiful than the supply of whales um, yeah, and probably uh, probably easier to get in a large quantity than uh, than than hunting right. for whales. Right, but I mean, our our oil consumption needs, like in the you know the mid 1800s, were modest enough that <laughs> they could actually be supplied by whales. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so so okay, okay. Not so much the case today. Here here's here's what we should talk about the rest of the time. So I go to Costco a lot, and uh, they have industrialized the selling of avocado oil. Grapeseed oil, and on a and a and a, a lifestyle related, but not substance related. They also have how do you call it the kachi, the the kumbaka, the kumbacha. What is that drink? Kumbacha. Yeah. So what is the deal with these three things, right? So so let me let me as I do ask a question to make a statement, but I want you to swoop in and add commentary and correct things because you hang out with people who are in their twenties nowadays, whereas I don't. Uh-huh. I I have. I have that that uh, that twenty year gap where I hang out with with people a lot who are three and seven years old, uh, and, but uh-huh. the, but then who are I don't ever see anyone who's in their twenties, so I don't know what the kids are doing. But I assume uh, I assume that there's I've something. Never heard, I've never heard anyone in their twenties, to my recollection, mention kombucha. Really? Now but that, I can make up a story. Maybe about that's it. maybe that's a regional thing. But so I assume with the avocado and the grapes. I assume with the avocado and the grapeseed oil, there's something related to it being healthier. That is is why you would use it or something. Like I don't. I, th- I think it's delicious. And and maybe I don't. Maybe there's flavor. I don't know what the motivation is because it seems like it's more expensive now. I always use olive oil every now and uh-huh. then. I've started using vegetable oil when I like cook like stir fry stuff because I think that's what you're supposed to do. Do and you then, use olive oil in, uh, instead of butter? Uh, I haven't. Yes, in one instance, I still I, ha- I still haven't gone to the thing where you use olive oil to cook eggs with. And I'll tell mm-hmm. you I'll tell you the history of that. So you know you know back in 2010. 
I read uh, I read that four hour diet book, and that's basically kind of like the diet I pick. I think I think the technical term for it now is the slow carb diet, um, uh-huh. and maybe that's something people love it when you talk about diet. But that's the one where like six days out of the week you eat uh, a protein, vegetables, and beans for every meal, and mm-hmm. uh, you can have two glasses of red wine. Although, you know, maybe protein. Yeah, so like meat, vegetables, and beans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Basically, you don't eat any sugar. That's your goal. But any, right. anyhow, the uh, also in that book, uh, Tim Ferriss, which which I I um. Hey, I've got a podcast of his that I haven't listened to. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I I wouldn't say my phone for. I wouldn't ages. say I'm an anti fan, but I'm just I'm not like a huge culty fan of him. I just like this one book that he wrote. This, anyways, he says that that uh, scrambled eggs cooked in olive oil tastes terrible, and that's affected my mind forever. But a few months ago, or a month ago, we were visiting with some of our friends in Houston. One of them, which is uh, his family, is Greek. I mean, he's like a straight up, you know. Houstonian Texas guy, of uh-huh. course, but he's he's a first generation uh, American guy, and he cooked his fried eggs in olive oil, and they were delicious. So I'm willing to yeah. reconsider olive oil. Well, yes, aside mm-hmm. from that, that one case, I basically use olive oil instead of butter uh, in things. But yeah. uh, but so you're saying the grapeseed oil and the avocado oil just just flavorful. Yeah, I think they're flavorful. Although don't get me wrong, I love I love my butter. In fact, mm-hmm. I kind of I. Switch between cooking my pancakes with butter and cooking them with olive oil. Just making you know, mixing them into the batter. This this is perhaps a uh, a Trumpian promise that I'm going to make right now. In in that I I don't need to do it. Uh, but like I think maybe if I ever become super wealthy, I'm going to set up a foundation and we're going to call it the. Let's see what would we call it? The coffee, butter, and red wine WTF Foundation, and uh-huh. we're going to fund finally answering if it is healthy to consume <laughs> as much of these products as possible or if it's not healthy because i feel like i feel like every 3 to 10 years and i'm putting this in air quotes science completely flip-flops on its position of of those three substances and you know we just need to know right like i'm fine <laughs> i'm fine with whatever the answer i would love it to be that you can eat those things pretty much as much as you want but i would like an answer Right. Like I need an answer because if I am going to commit to not drinking red wine anymore, to not drinking coffee anymore and and over, you know, not really. I'm already kind of committed to not eating butter, but I just I just need to know. Right. Because I don't want to I don't want to waste my time and have it turn out that they're okay substances to have because, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not as big a fan as bacon as most people are. I think it's a little too salty. But when it comes to like butter, coffee and like booze, I mean, I think we can all agree on those substances. It's not like. You don't want to have it be the institute of coffee, butter, red wine, and asbestos. No, like, no, no. There's you, you know, there's no need. It's 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 a it's a it's a just that core group of controversial essentials. But, but it's like you know, I I as I was reading in the Economist, I I know that there are all sorts of illnesses that are killing millions of people worldwide. But really, I think we should fund figuring out if if I can eat those substances and live, you know, mm-hmm. a few more months. That's that's how I should I'd like to allocate my resources. So what you're saying, avocado and grapeseed oil flavor. That's what yeah. you're going for. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm going for. Okay. Olive oil I like, but it just I, I I maybe it's maybe it might even be just psychological that I just cannot disentangle the taste of olive oil with Mediterranean food and pasta mm. and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, I feel like maybe it's just making a break with olive oil kind of gives me the psychic freedom to experiment with it in, in, in my other areas of cooking that aren't, you know, pasta. Yeah. 
Well, you, you don't like and Mediterranean my, food? I love it. I love it. I just olive oil is so strongly associated with it yeah. that I don't think I can I can't separate the two almost. And so like avocado oil gives me an oil that isn't so associated with it and so that it makes me feel like it's okay to maybe, you know, use it in pancakes. Oh yeah. See that that would use be interesting. Did, now do you mm-hmm. use do you do you use the avocado oil for pancakes? I do. Huh. I do. Well, next time I I'm at Costco. I'm going to buy one of those bottles. Yeah, I've actually switched back to butter, though. Oh yeah. Well, I I think I think butter butter in pancakes is essential. I mean, that's, well, that's... so I butter on top of. I still put butter on top of the pancakes. Yeah, yeah. They're like, mm, let's but, put the little olive oil and pepper on top of these pancakes. But but now that I hang out with the three and the seven year olds, I make pancakes and waffles a lot. And through through experimentation, I have learned that butter is a key ingredient. Of, mm-hmm. of the of the the pancakes and waffles, like you just you just need it sort of like cooked into that thing. Like it's, yeah. it's got to be. One thing I it. also discovered is that you gotta like let your waffles cook long enough, otherwise mm. they are flop. Yes, you gotta you gotta let the waffles cook longer than maybe. Well, at least my waffle iron it turns off the light way too soon. You don't and want so you want limp waffles. I suffered, I suffered years of floppy waffles. Yeah. And yeah. Nobody likes that. No, it's like no. it's great, and then all of a sudden it just kind of goes. We we spent a lot of time a few years ago, thanks to the Sweet Home, you know, the sister site, uh, not to engender it, the sibling site of uh, Wire Cutter, and uh, we bought the best waffle iron that wasn't absurdly priced. And that's you also you got to get a good waffle iron. You got to get the the circular one that you flip over, not that bullshit. Wire cutter. Yeah, you know what, wire is it, cutter. Like a battery. You don't know the wire cutter site. Yeah. Is it battery-powered waffle iron? So, so the wire cutter is this website that recommends gadgets, right? They do thorough uh, analysis. They'll do like they'll do like best Bluetooth headphones, and they're good because they're very thorough, as they say. And they uh, also will they also will say according to these three sets of criteria, here's the ones you should buy, right? So right. they'll have the overall winner, then they'll have the budget buy, and then they'll also have the if money is no option buy frequently. And they'll like mm-hmm. so for example, we went we wanted to get some wireless home cameras. You can go read the entry on like it's a very thorough analysis of which ones are good or bad and everything. It's kinda like a consumer report. Uh, recently okay. acquired by the yeah. New York Times. Now so that's Change gadgets. My life, Cote. Yeah. Now on the other hand, Ooh. the other thing that's magical about them is they have another site, again a sibling Ooh. site called the Sweet Home. Which you can go to find out how to buy a spatula or a waffle iron, right? Mm-hmm. So they apply that same super nerd mentality to like basically telling you about home good I stuff. See. Man, I need it. My waffle iron is terrible. I mean, so 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 actually, let me let me let me let me walk back from that a little bit. My waffle iron is simple. Yes, I would say that it's well made, but it is so. It is just. It's so Spartan. It doesn't have like I can't like it's it it's a Krups. It's a nice waffle iron, but it's you know just a, a two waffle iron that's tiny that you can't. It doesn't even have an on off switch. You just oh. plug it into the wall and it's like boom. You can't remove the plates to clean them. Like it's just it's reliable and it's dependable and it's portable and it's small, but it has no features. It's just, it's, it's just like, I've been living with an MVP waffle iron for 10 years, Cote. Well, well, whether, whether you're using chapters or going to the, the show notes at Cote.show slash 24, I'll put a link to the waffle iron review and, and the waffle iron we have, the waffle iron we have, it's a Belgian style one, right? So we wanted to get one that makes Belgian waffles. So it's very tall and it's circular and it has a knob for heat. 
and it's all nonstick. And you basically, you pour the batter in, close it and flip it around. And then a light goes on when it's done. Right. So that's, that's what I recommend. And it doesn't, you don't remove the things, but you don't really need to clean it. If you oil it and nonstick it, it's actually fine. But yeah. And now we make great waffles. We don't have, when you and I were growing up, we had these bullshit American waffle irons that were basically like these square, super thin waffle things that would make you like egos. And those are just bullshit waffles. Those are not, those are not good. I don't really eat waffles, but even I know those are bullshit. Like you got to get a nice thick Belgian waffle. Cause otherwise, right. otherwise making waffles is a lot more difficult than pancakes. You should just make pancakes. If you're going to make basically the American, the eighties American waffle is basically a, a pockmarked pancake. And why not just make pancakes at that point? You, you know, unless you're, mm-hmm. unless you're doing the real shit. So that's, that's what you got to look into. But before we get to, before we get to your Emacs configuration tip. So what you're telling me is you don't know anything about the kombucha. Or whatever. Like, no, I need, no, I, I need, I need some input because I could tell you some bullshit. Like, kombucha is the catnip. This is my point exactly. Is thus far, I have not found a reliable source of information about consumer goods like the wire cutter in the sweet home. So I don't want to go search the internet to to read about kombucha. I just want to know what it is and if I should. If it is it healthy to drink? Is it loaded with sugar and it's a bullshit drink? It's some tea. It's got. I think it's got a little bit of alcohol in it. I remember okay. that Whole Foods got caught in a scandal about four years ago, yeah. maybe five years ago, where they were stocking the shelves with kombucha tea that actually had a pretty high alcohol content. I and see. they realize like, oh, this like refreshing, you know, you're thinking it's like, uh, you know, it's like Snapple or it's like Arizona iced tea. And you're like, mm, this is delicious. And in fact, it's getting you drunk. Exactly. So this is what I want to find out. And then, and then we'll get to the Emacs configuration tip. I want to know if kombucha, kombucha is sort of like, the Gatorade of, of the hipster world, right? And you remember, again, back to the, the shitty waffle iron days. In our days, Gatorade was seen as this magical thing, right? With, with to, to use the idiocracy thing, but it has electrolytes. And then it turns out <laughs> that Gatorade is basically just water with a bunch of sugar in it, right? right. And you're just like, so right. it's bullshit. And I want to know if kombucha is, is, is the same sort of thing. Maybe so. I definitely remember. You remember those... Uh... Those um, Gatorade commercials back in the 80s where the person would like drink back, they, they, they throw back uh, their mouth and their head and drink a Gatorade and it would show like their body being all red and then it would slowly, the heat map would turn green as it was yes. like the body yeah. with uh, exactly. electrolytes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Electrolytes. Yeah. Bullshit. I was actually thinking it would be awesome to have like, you know, like uh, like you could have like a Tankerade dream or a drink that was like tanqueray <laughs> and juice yeah and like you show this up the person like the sober person like walking up and then tossing their head back with like their tanqueray and uh it's like showing the you know the the their brain turning from like red to green or something like that so let me let me let me do the jingle it's charles's emacs configuration tip of the week all righty so you know, there's a lot of Emacs packages out there that do a lot of things, and usually they do one thing and they do it well. So you have Magit, which is helps you manage your Git repositories and your projects. Um, there's, you know, the uh, undo tree, which lets you visualize the complete undo history of a buffer. Those are those are great packages, but there's also just the kind of the quotidian day-to-day things like. I don't know, making sure that uh, when you leave a buffer, it auto saves or 
being able to switch around windows or, or or like one that i'm sure i would install early on would be i don't know what they would call it a dumb quote thing that made sure smart quotes never appeared in well, anything there's actually there is there is one there is one of those uh, oh like a dumb quote i see what you're because I, I i hate smart quotes they drive me crazy right and i i you know just because i'm old school but like i hate those those curly quotes right um so there's but there's things like you know being able to i don't know uh go down to an, another line below where you are and 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 just these kind of little very low impact things but that so that no one kind of wants to take the time to write an entire package to do it um like go through the whole release package and so the fellow who developed prelude which is kind of a, a starter kit extracted a bunch of kind of just the random utilities uh and distributed them as a package called crux which stands for oh, very nice the collection of ridiculously useful extensions. So they're kind of the, all of the things that you want to have in your Emacs pack config, like a little thing, just take off little paper cuts. You know, they're not, they're not solving huge problems for you. They're just solving little problems. And so there's one package where he just gives you all of these kind of tiny utilities. And so there's probably, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, like tiny utilities that you can, and they don't come with any key bindings or anything like that. They're just functions, so you can integrate them into your own config, however it is that you want. It's just like these are if you're using Emacs in Anger, these are things that you're gonna want to do at some point. And here's the functions to do it all in like one you know big package and bind the ones that you're interested in, you know, and don't bind the ones that you're not interested in, and you're you're good to go. Uh, and you can always call them interactively. Hmm. It's like it's like back to show my age. Back when I was a programmer, you would always get the uh, the Apache Common stuff for Java, which was just right. a whole bunch of a uh, whole bunch of good things. The right. the string That's library right. in particular, very handy. And uh, right, right, exactly. Nice. Yeah. So I'm trying to think. Like, there's, there's, yeah, just, just go. Uh, there's a couple in there that I just use all the time. Like swapping the windows uh, mm. is a great one. Auto saving uh, when you remove focus makes so much mm-hmm. sense. Yep. Yeah. Maybe I yeah, should go back uh, to using Emacs, Charles. I use, yeah. I use Sublime now, but Emacs might be uh, might be enjoyable. You know what, Cote? Come by the office. We'll get you set up on Front Max. You're going to love it. Don't you have a uh, Don't you have an Emacs meetup group or something? Uh, I do, but I, I unfortunately, I don't have room in my schedule for meetups in the evening. And so I was running it as a lunch meetup. But most people, turns out, they can't do a lunch meetup. So we'd only – our attendance would be between four and five people. But I – there is a so a um, closureist uh, here in town named Dar. I'm going to mispronounce his name. I think it's Dar Monto. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> took it over from me. He's doing a great job of running uh, the the Emacs group. Then now they have a normal meetup time. Uh, I think it's like seven o'clock uh, once a month. Um, so uh, so yeah, there's actually a very active and vibrant Emacs community here in Austin, uh, and you know sometimes. The, even the lunch meetup attracted up to 10 people. I'm, I'm writing that in. There's a vibrant Emacs community here in Austin. That's, yep. that's, uh, there you go. Keep yep. Austin Emacs. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> you want to stay weird, man. Uh, well, with that, this has been the third episode, which makes it official that we actually have a new podcast, Charles. It's real. Yay. Now, that d- this means – this means I'm you actually have- – wait, so can I do a little pitch? Uh-huh. I'm actually going to be podcasting. I'm going to be on an Emacs podcast tonight. Mm. 
and uh, so I don't know when they're what, going to What's the, what's the uh, name of this podcast? The Emacs uh, podcast? I think so. If you go to let me let me go just check it out real quick. Um, here you do that while I I go over the closing stuff here. So, anyways, you, like I was mentioning, we have a fair amount of downloads, and uh, but but if if you enjoy this show, the best thing you can do at this point to help us out, other than listening yourself, is just to tell other people about it, and maybe even. Uh, Honestly, I don't know if doing things in iTunes matter, but it's always nice to see comments and stars, and uh, that that would be lovely if uh, you took the time to do that, And but also just more promoting it to other people and telling people about it is nice. And if you want to get the show notes for this episode, if you haven't heard it the first two times, you can go to kote.show slash 24, and you can also check out the chapter marks, and uh, you can find the link to subscribe there and, and everything else. And uh, Charles is Cowboy D, ending with a D. Uh, in in Twitter, and I'm of course Cote, and and oh, also as a promotional thing, I was on your Frontside podcast last week, and uh, we'll we'll put a link to that uh, here in the, uh-huh. uh, the episode. We're just as pod- well. this is this is a podcasting man. It's uh, we're just podcast. I'm gonna, three podcasts in uh, two days. Yeah. It's a well, this, you know, we pod- we've got a there as as I recall, these podcast streets are mean. As I recall, there's three segments of podcasting, which is public radio shows. Uh, shows about crime and two white guys talking. So we're just trying to hold up our slice of the pie, right? Like I don't want right. to let people down. Uh, so right. that you know, just just as 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 someone once said, I'm just here on Earth holding down my square. So that's yeah. That's that was what we uh, do. that was uh, that was. Uh, I forgot the someone who was telling me this joke like a couple of weeks ago that you have you know a murder of crows, a uh, a Game of Thrones, like the the. Um, What's uh? What are some of the other ones like a covey of doves? Yeah, yeah. You got a gander then, of geese or whatever. Gander of geese, and then you have a, a podcast of white guys. Yeah, that's that's the that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. So, alrighty, all right. <clears throat> we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. All right, bye bye. are drunk and retired. How does it get in? Where right. where are you? Oh, you're you're texting me. Yeah. You're not not sending it in Skype. Got it. I should I should I should Oh, I, I don't should, uh, I don't care. I'm just like go to That you know, the way instant messaging is the shit show that we all predicted. Remember when we were like <laughs> we should be using ADM or have one standard like Jabber cuz this is going to go bad and now total shit show. You're like yeah. I got my text messaging, my Skype. I got my Google Talk and my Slack, and just like <laughs> I've got ten sake. goddamn Slacks. Yeah, yeah, it's a shit show. I've got ten Slacks. Each one has a different password.